Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida, this is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here. A review of Carnival Freedom this week, an eight-night Southern Caribbean voyage out of Port Miami. Kevin will be here a little later on in the program to talk all about it. Staff writer Richard Sims standing by with Cruise News. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. Carnival Cruise Line gave some updates this week. Yeah, and they are updates that people have really been waiting to hear. If you've been following the news or if you spend time on message boards, things like that, you've certainly heard that there are staffing issues, not just with Carnival, it's with all of the cruise lines. It's become a real issue as, you know, the the, the visa obtaining process for the various staff members has slowed down to a trickle, but it's starting to open up again. The whole situation is starting to ease. And John Heald, the, uh, the ambassador, for for Carnival Cruise Line, took to his Facebook page and sort of wanted to give people an update on where things stand. And it was a lot of, you know, relatively good news. Basically, because the visa issues are lessening, they're starting to be able to get things up and running. Staffing is getting closer to normal. And they're hoping that within the next month or so, they'll be pretty darn close to, you know, where they want to be. That means that things like, for example, the chef's table, which was not being offered, bookings for that are open now on some sailings. I actually um, just booked it this week for a sailing I have at the end of August on Magic. They're hoping to have the 24-7 pizza back soon. Right now, pizza is available from 8 a.m. to 3 a.m. And, you know, that sounds totally reasonable. You're like, okay, that's pretty close to 24 hours. And it is reasonable. Until you come out of the casino at like 5 a.m. and desperately <laughs> need something to eat. And yes, I've done that. Um, so hopefully they'll have the 24-hour pizza back soon. In other news, Camp Ocean is open for vaccinated and unvaccinated kids from 2 to 5 The evening program, which is called Night Owls, isn't open yet, but like all these other things, they're hoping that once the staffing issues are resolved, they will be able to get that back up and running again. He also addressed testing because, you know, we've been hearing a lot of things about some lines doing some dropping of pre-cruise testing on certain sailings. And he basically said, don't count on that happening anytime soon and out of the United States. And largely that's because of Um, The ports that they go to visit 
and the requirements that those ports have. Now, he did say that the higher-ups are working hard to get the testing mandate dropped. And, of course, that in and of itself is going to be kind of a big moment, and it's going to be a little bit of a controversial moment because there are people who are booking cruises now because they feel like, you know, it's a safe vacation alternative. Everybody on board is tested and blah, blah, blah. Once you drop that testing requirement, I have to assume that they will say to people, much like they did when they rolled out testing, you remember when they rolled out testing, they said, listen, if this is not for you, we understand, we'll let you cancel. You know, no big deal. No no harm, no foul. I almost have to assume they'll do the same thing when they first drop testing, is that if somebody is uncomfortable with the idea of testing being dropped, they'll say, okay, yeah, you know, we'll give you a future cruise credit and let you sail. This is not confirmed. This is just me speculating. But Given that there will probably be a fair number of people who feel that way, it seems, based on what they've done in the past, that that's the route they'd likely go. But it'll also open the floodgates to people who actually, you know, they do want to cruise and they, you know, they're worried about testing or Walgreens not doing it for free anymore or spending all that money for a test for five or whatever, you know? Definitely. Like everything, it's a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. There will be people, you know, you can't make an announcement in the cruise industry and not have, you know, half of the people thrilled with it and half of the people upset about it. It's just the way things go. In fact, I have a feeling our next story is going to be the same thing. I was going to say, Disney up in the price a little bit. Yeah. So Disney has followed in the footsteps of Carnival and Norwegian by raising their daily gratuity rate. Um, I, I kind of love these stories because inevitably it sparks a lot of debate about whether gratuity should simply be rolled into the price of your cruise or even charged to guests at all. Like, should it just be something that, you know, the guests aren't even aware of? Because whenever you raise the gratuities, you get the people who say, why are we paying your employees, Bill? That's your job. You know, you, uh, you know, my boss does not get to go to the, the readers of my website and say, you know, we're going to, we're going to charge you an extra $2 and 50 cents for the pleasure of coming here. Um, Disney is increasing gratuities by about a dollar a day for most guests. So the total will be $14.50 per person per day or $15.50 per person to pay per day, depending on the type of stateroom you're staying in. And honestly, that's not a small amount of money. It doesn't sound like a lot, you know, $14.50. That doesn't sound like a lot. But when you add the words per guest per day, especially on a Disney cruise where you're probably traveling with your kids, that's four people in a room that each is paying $14.50 or $15.50 per person per day. So it does add up. And it's one of the reasons that I'm a big advocate of just roll it all in so that people don't even have to think about it. They know going in exactly what they're spending. What's interesting here is usually when cruise lines do this, like when Carnival did it, um, they they said, okay, listen, just so you know, we're going to raise the rates starting on X date. If you want to avoid paying the increase, pay it now and you won't, you know, you'll be grandfathered in with the old rate, basically. Disney did not do that. Disney's like, yeah, we're starting this now. Uh, so uh, basically, if you have a Disney cruise booked, unless you have already paid the gratuities, you are going to be paying the new rate. Even if you decide to pay it tomorrow, you because you just heard about it, you will be paying the new rate because there's they're not really, uh, like I said, the only people grandfathered in are people who have already paid their rates before they heard this news. With Disney, if you're paying $1,000 for a three-night cruise per person out of Port Canaveral, you should probably have the gratuity wrapped up in there somewhere. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, we have seen cruise lines doing this. You know, Virgin Cruise Lines does it. Um, Celebrity does it. Now, with Celebrity, you do have the option not to include it. But their basic package now is, you know, that that things like Wi-Fi and drinks and your gratuities are included. And people really, really love having things included in the price. They like to have as much paid for when they when they pay off that trip as they possibly can. They don't want to get on board and have a whole bunch of uh, other additional expenses. So, you know, inevitably we're going to hear the nickel and dime crowd saying all of these things about Disney raising the rates, but uh, it's too late. You're already paying the new rate. And a little bit of NCL news this week as well. And both are basically good news. Um, we've had some bad news from Norwegian, especially with the Norwegian Sun, which you'll recall a couple weeks ago, we reported that it had hit a growler. That's my new favorite word, by the way, growler, um, because we now know that a growler is a small chunk of ice. Um, and and it's just ever since I heard that, it's become my new favorite thing. Anyway, the Norwegian Sun hit a growler and it did some damage to the ship and they had to go back to Seattle and they had to cancel a couple of cruises. But they have, you know, they have repaired the ship. They used the underwater divers, which I kind of would love to see footage of. And they have done a test cruise to make sure that everything's, you know, tightly sealed and everything's, you know, nothing bad is going to happen. And they are now setting sail again this week. They'll finish up the Alaska season. And then after that, uh, the Norwegian Sun will spend the winter going into the Canary Islands for the first time in seven years. Meanwhile, um, this is, you know, sort of for you art lovers, they've been having this contest uh, to, it's called Call to Artists. It was a collaboration with the Nader Museum in uh, Miami, and they basically asked Southern Florida artists to submit artwork that would be considered for this gigantic mural on the outside of the terminal. And this year, an artist named Ernesto Conde, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, K-U-N-D-E, an Ernesto Conde won. And, you know, he'll get a whole bunch of prizes, And but, but the real prize is you will be able to see his beautiful piece of art um, on the outside of the mural. And everybody who comes, it's impossible to be on a ship sailing in or out of this terminal and not see it. But he better enjoy it while it lasts because interestingly, and you don't really hear this happening too often, every year they're going to reboot the contest. And so a new piece of art will go there every year, which is really unusual. Usually when you see a, you know, a giant mural like that being done, it's basically as close to a permanent exhibit as you're going to get. But this, every year, another artist will have an opportunity um, from the South Florida artist community to have their work displayed there and, you know, and get the publicity that goes along with it. And that's kind of cool. And a doubleheader for MSC this week, kind of, I guess we'll say MSC group because one is their luxury line. Right. The luxury line has now got six ships on order. They are going all in on luxury. This is thanks to the two new ships they just ordered, which are called the Explorer, uh, Explora, E-X-P-L-O-R-A 5 and Explora 6. Appropriately enough, you know, as you can probably guess, the first ships are Explorer 1, Explorer 2. Yeah. Uh, they haven't even begun construction on these yet, but they signed what's known as a memorandum of agreement with Fincantieri Shipyard. So that's basically, you know, th th that's basically like placing your order. It's like going on Amazon and saying, hey, I'd like to order these two new, big, beautiful luxury ships. The new ships are expected to start sailing in 
2027 and 2028, respectively. And they're going to feature a lot of new and developing technology that's specifically aimed at helping the company lower their environmental impact. Um, One thing that's kind of cool is they're actually expanding the new ships by 19 meters. And this is so that they can fit in the new technology. Some of the technology takes up more space, you know, like whether it's the LNG or the hydrogen powered. And because they're doing that, you know, you don't just expand 19 feet in the engine room, it's or 19 meters, it's actually 19 meters altogether through the whole ship. So that means they're also going to have the opportunity to expand some of the public spaces, and uh, they're going to expand their offering of suites across the ship, that kind of thing. So that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing how that plays out in in the form of the actual design of the ship. I really enjoy, you know, looking at, at ship designs. The other thing that they announced was that the Seascape will have around 7,500 square feet dedicated to kids' spaces. They're going to have a lot of activities involving Lego. Those are sort of designed for kids who are between three and six. And there's another separate Lego area with, you know, the more traditional Lego blocks that's for kids like seven to 11. They're also going to have three different areas for the tween set to hang out in. Um, And those seem sort of like what you're used to seeing on other ships, except on other ships where they tend to be clustered into one space. These will be three separate spaces. Listener question this week comes from Heather. Heather says, we're going to Bermuda this summer and keep reading that we need a health passport to even get off the ship in Bermuda. Is this something that we should take care of before we cruise or does the cruise line satisfy this for us? So this is something that you have to take care of yourself. Um, There probably are some individual small cruise lines, things like that, that will take care of this for you. But in my experience, and I happen to be doing this right now for an upcoming cruise, it is something that you have to take care of yourself. It's also something that you have to do whether you're planning to get off the ship in Bermuda or not. A lot of people say, oh, I've been to Bermuda a thousand times. I'm going to just hang out on the ship. Doesn't matter. You still have to fill out the paperwork and you still have to pay the fee. It's a $40 fee per person. And that does not go to the cruise line. That is going to Bermuda. So it's pretty easy to do. In fact, for example, with my upcoming carnival sailing, Um, They sent me an email reminding me that this has to be done, and it had a link, and I went to the link, and you go down and you select which sailing you're going to be on. This usually populates about a month before you sail. Um, The cruise lines tell you that you should start doing this, you know, like six to eight weeks before, but in my experience, I've only seen it available a month in advance. Uh, and it's pretty simple. You fill out the paperwork and you have to upload your vaccination um, records, that kind of thing. And then they email you back and they tell you you've been accepted. It's a $40 fee. I don't know. I, I don't know what happens if you hear back from them and they say, nope, sorry, you uh, did not get the travel advisory permission. I assume that would mean that Maybe you can't board the ship. Um, That is something we'll have to actually look into. I haven't heard of anyone being rejected, but uh, it it is worth, you know, kind of pondering. If you happen to be somebody who was rejected, uh, drop Doug a line because I'd be interested to hear what happens next. All right. Staff writer Richard Sims. Richard, thank you so much, buddy. Always glad to be here. Breaking news as it 
happens online and on demand at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. You're listening to Cruise Radio, the trusted voice of the cruise industry. Kevin, his wife, and their almost two-year-old just went on a eight-night cruise down to the Southern Caribbean on Carnival Freedom. They left out of Port Miami, and it hit Half Moon Key, Grand Turk, Aruba, Bonaire, and three days at sea. Kevin, welcome back to the show, my friend. Hi, Doug. How are you? Good, bud. So you're up in the Northwest and you had to get down to Miami where Carnival Freedom was based at the time. So what made you want to take this eight night cruise to the Southern Caribbean? So we usually try and get a nice, uh, nice cruise over spring break since my wife is in the education field and spring break is a natural time to have some good time off. And uh, the uh, itinerary looked really appealing, included a couple new ports for us that we hadn't been to. And yeah, wanted to make sure we got the B part of the ABC Islands. So Traveling with the little one, do you fly in early? Yeah, you kind of have to, and especially coming from so far. And we, uh, unfortunately for this time and, and the way the itinerary worked, we could only really come in just the day before, but we, we did fly in the, the afternoon before the cruise. You make your way to Port Miami. Earlier this year, Carnival rolled out Verifly, which is an online system to satisfy all your vaccine paperwork and such. Were they using it at Carnival Freedom that day? We did. So it works like a charm for my wife and I, because we're both, you know, fully vaccinated and, you know, had our tests and everything done. Uh, But for my son, though, who's under two and, uh, you know, at at the time of the cruise, you know, can't get vaccinated. And and, but also Carnival did not at that time require a, you know, COVID test for him at all. And so Verify itself really didn't work or, you know, able to complete the process for him. You make your way on board Carnival Freedom. What were your impressions of the ship? Because you've sailed Freedom before, right? I did. So uh, we sailed, my wife and I sailed it back, I think it was in 2019 when it was actually in Galveston at the time. So pre-COVID, everything, obviously. And it is a nice ship. So I, um, it went through some renovations, I think, back in you know, 2018, 2019, just a you know, simple dry dock, I think, at that time and, and everything. But, you know, it's, it's kept up well. I mean, it's definitely not the newest and greatest, like, you know, the uh, Vista class or, or even Mardi Gras, um, things like that. But, you know, it's still a, a decent ship for a nice vacation. What type of stateroom did you book for this eight-night cruise? Yeah, so we had an ocean suite that was uh, located on deck seven. You know, traveling with the little guy, we wanted to have some extra space, you know, to be able to, you know, ha- have his crib in there uh, and maneuver around and live in. And, and you know, because <laughs> you, you do spend more time in this in the stateroom mm-hmm. uh, with with a little guy than you would, you know, probably with just my wife and I. Where was the room in terms of location? So it's in the front of the ship, so front right, uh, basically, so kind of just forward of the elevators. It's usually about the location I kind of try to be in. It's, you know, whenever we're sailing, it tends, it tends to work pretty well. Do you tend to pick a certain deck? 
it depends on what kind of stateroom we're getting really for the most mm-hmm. part. So I do try to go a little bit higher, you know, with the uh, ocean suites. I think, you know, most ships actually, it doesn't really matter which class it is. They're mostly like on the lower decks, deck seven, eight, somewhere around there. How about the dining on this eight night cruise? We'll start at the top at the Lido deck marketplace, the buffet. How was it? It was good. You know, definitely had its traditional, you know, carnival, you know, marketplace feel and everything seemed to have quite a few options throughout. And uh, this was our first sailing where, you know, you, you served yourself. So a lot of our sailings before there was someone else doing it for you, but um, so it's definitely nice kind of getting back to normal experience. And that ship has the barbecue upstairs, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yes. Yeah. It has a, you know, not, not as a guy's, you know, pig and anchor, but very similar in nature it has a lot of the same offerings and, you know, no matter which class and if it has it on there, I try and hit the barbecue on, uh, on embarkation day, which is what we did. Is the little one hooked on barbecue or burgers yet? Not yet. So he's still trying to figure out his likes and dislikes and mm-hmm. all that fun stuff. But later on in one of the ports, he, he definitely did enjoy a, a couple burgers at, at, at one of the port stops. That's awesome. So let's talk yeah. about the main dining room. What time dining did you have and how was your experience? We had early dining. Uh, so again, you know, traveling with the little guy who likes to go to bed kind of a little bit earlier than, than the average bear. We chose early dining, which about which was 6 p.m. for the sailing. And it worked out really well. You know, we were set up at a, you know, just table for four. So it was just us basically, you know, um, and that was, that was good. The service definitely, you know, was really good. And, and uh, they're very attentive, made sure that, you know, we had our, you know, fruit plate and milk for, for the little guy, you know, as soon as we got there. And so that way it kind of entertained them. And while well, my wife and I could kind of go through the normal dinner process. So at the risk of sounding stupid, but I'm going to ask you this anyways, when you go into the restaurant with your son, he's almost two years old. Are you ordering him food off the main dining room menu or using the kids menu? It's really up to you on what you do. So we'd previously sailed with him on Royal Caribbean and they had like a set, you know, kids menu. So we asked the wait staff when we sat down on the first night and said, Hey, do you have, do you have a kids menu? And they, they actually said no, that they didn't. But then he, he rattled off, uh, the, you know, the handful of, you know, kids staples, you know, pasta and hamburger and pizza and things like that. And so we did that for a couple of nights, but then also sometimes ordered just off the regular adult menu and just, you know, let him eat what he wanted to eat. He's a big pasta fan yeah. uh, overall. And so usually dinners for him consisted of, you know, one of the fruit plates, which I think is actually on the adult d- dessert menu. And, you know, one of the pasta dishes, whether it be from the kid's menu or you know, there's always a pasta dish on the, on the regular menu. How was your experience at the pizza place, Pizzeria del Capitano, I believe it's called, on that ship? When I was on board on a sister ship a couple of months back, it was kind of a hot mess back there. Like you order a pizza and have to wait 10 minutes where they used to have all these pies ready to go. I wasn't sure if it was a staffing shortage or them just being mindful of waste. Yeah, that was definitely true on this one. You know, the, the, the line was extremely slow, especially during the, you know, like the peak time. So, you know, normal meal hours and after, after shows, things like that. I will say that the best pizza that we did have that was, you know, fairly well cooked and everything was, there was one night that our, our son was having a tough time sleeping. And so we ended up doing a late night walk around the ship just to try and get him to go to sleep. And we hit up the pizzeria at like three in the morning, four in the morning when it was dead as a doorknob. And uh, that was probably one of the best pizzas we've ever had on a cruise ship because it was prepared just right then and no no rush. And, you know, that that was really good service then. Yeah, probably a tip for any cruise line, too, is like you want to pay attention to what time the the comedy show or the theater show gets out, because that's when people flood the pizza place. Oh, for sure. 
outside of the main dining room, did you hit any specialty restaurants? So the only true specialty restaurant that we tried, um, you know, besides like any you know, like the, the burgers and you know the other the other complimentary items, is we did try the um, seafood shack for the first time. So I'd never never done that on any of our previous sailings, and really wanted to try it. And we had some a uh, pretty good amount of onboard credit. So I was like, yeah, let's give it a whirl. And I'll say it was a really fun experience. I mean, the, the food is is pretty pricey, I'd say overall, but you know, you can get some really good quality, uh, you know, boiled shrimp and things like that there that, uh, um, so we tried shrimp and some of the, the snow crab lakes and they, they both were really, really good. How was the entertainment for this eight night sailing? The entertainment was good. So we, um, you know, with the little guy, we weren't able to catch a lot of the shows, but the shows we saw and the music that was kind of around the ship was really, really good. I mean, they had the, you know, the, the celestial string, uh, you know, in the atrium pretty much every night and then a lot of different bands throughout, throughout the ship. And those, those all were, were really good. How was Elito deck at night? You know, it was really nice, you know, to kind of see the, they often had, you know, movie every night, you know, movie or two every night. It was very nice and relaxing to, uh, to, to walk around up there. Yeah, you can't beat a good sunrise or sunset at sea. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, you know, and obviously, you know, we get to catch both of those sometimes, you know, depending upon how the day's going. But yeah, sure. good sunset in particular at sea. Wonderful. With the sea days, you had three of them on this eight night cruise and Carnival has up to capacity a little bit on their ship. So how were the sea days as far as crowds and congestion? The sea days were not too bad. So this sailing, I think they told us was probably, you know, that 70 to 80 percent. It was pretty good. You know, you usually could find a deck chair if you wanted to. You know, there's the usual choke points, you know, right around the the pool, between the pool and the buffet, I guess you could say. You know, where there's the burger place and blue iguana mm-hmm. leading into the buffet. And that, that area usually super crowded. But, you know, if you went up on the second deck, which I think was at deck 11, 10 or 11 on uh, on the Freedom, it's, it's pretty nice. You can usually walk around there, walk around there really well. And the nice thing about the Freedom as well is on this particular ship, the walking track or running track is actually a, another deck up. So it's it's actually completely separate from all the pull traffic. So if you wanted to go up there and walk around or or um, or run or whatever you want to do, uh, it was pretty easy to do that. Also enjoy on Freedom on that whole Conquest class, the very front of the ship, you have those three decks where you can actually go outside. And not a lot of people know about those decks. No, they don't. And so you can really get some nice views around the ship and views of, you know, kind of where you're going. That Yeah, like you said, a lot of people don't know about those, those secret hiding spots. Yeah, it's a good uh, good sail away spot for sure. So on this sailing, you had four ports of call, as we mentioned earlier, Half Moon, Grand Turk, Aruba, and Bonaire. So we'll start at Half Moon. How was your day there? It was okay. So we this is our first time there. Um, and so we purchased the uh, clamshells, I think it's called. So it's kind of like a you know tent that kind of goes over, half over you, and you have two two chairs basically. The one thing that we we had a hard time doing was we had a hard time finding where where we were supposed to go, you know, for those. And so luckily we kind of studied the map a couple times, you know, as we're walking along the shore to to find where where to check in to make sure we don't take over someone's spot or whatever may be. It was also kind of a cloudy day that day. So a big front had pushed through. And so it had made our seas extremely rough, actually, for like the first half of the sailing, too. Mm-hmm. But that day was kind of cool and, and uh, you know, overcast. Luckily, we didn't have any rain, though. Next up was Grand Turk. How was your day? Grand Turk was great. So we rented a cabana. I think it was called like the Bajari 
beach cabana for the day. And so they pick you up in a, in a bus and kind of take you over to like a resort area or, a, you know, kind of just a secluded area. And there's beach chairs you can go to, but, you know, behind those a little bit, a little bit away from the water, but it's very walkable um, is a couple of beach cabanas. And that, that was really nice. So we had a really good time and uh, it was a beautiful day there to, to enjoy uh, Grand Turk. Were you all the only ship in port? You know, I, th- I think we were. Yeah, we were the only ship in port that day. Up next, you hit two of the three ABC islands. So how was Aruba? Yeah, Aruba, we also did a, be- a beach resort there. Uh, I think it was called La Palms Beach Resort. And that was really nice. So they take you in a, they take you over via a bus to like a, just a small boat, you know, take a boat dock, and then you take a boat to the actual resort. And so it's somewhere kind of a little bit, I don't know if it's its own, I don't remember if it's its own island or just another part of Aruba. But it was really nice. I mean, there was, you know, a lot, a lot of spots to kind of hang out at, you know, with beach umbrellas. And they provide a nice lunch and, yes, a couple of different activities uh, for kids and so forth. And the beach itself was pretty nice. We did get some rain that day, but it, it definitely didn't dampen the day at all. Uh, really highly recommend it. Yeah, that's a, uh, I think it's called like De Palm Island, I believe. It's uh, off it. the Yeah, it's yeah. off the coast of Aruba. So it is its private island. That's the place with the open bar and everything, correct? Yep, for yeah. sure. It was really, it was really a fun, fun experience. And then your last port was Bonaire. How'd you spend your day there? That was really cool. So we had a, it was um, our first time to Bonaire and couldn't find much, you know, kid friendly activities for the most part. Just kind of thinking of like what his attention span would be. But we did try out the, they have a little train that you can kind of go around. And it's kind of one of those, you know, makeshift train slash car vehicle things that kind of tours around Bonaire. And, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of cool to get to see some of the different parts of that Island. I mean, it's obviously pretty small in nature. I know a lot of people, I think rent golf carts and so forth to go around, but uh, we were looking for something that's kind of low key on that day. And, and on our way back, we could, we were able to uh, walk around the, the port area uh, they don't have like a true dedicated port area, but they have a good shopping street that's like one street up from the port. And that was when we were there, it was fairly just after they had changed the rules and regulations that before, if you had an unvaccinated kid, you pretty much had to do the excursion and come straight back and you know, don't pass go kind of thing, you know, but they were starting to lighten that up a little bit. So it was fun to get to walk around with him, unlike our previous cruises where we couldn't do that. See, that's the only island I haven't been to. So how would you describe this island? Uh, because like in Grand Turk, you can also rent a golf cart and drive around. Or is it more like neighboring island Aruba? I would think it's kind of similar to Grand Turk in a way. So it's mm-hmm. Grand Turk, you, know, you get off and there's, you know, that built up, you know, all the shops and stuff. Carnival built that, didn't they? Like that cruise port basically. Mm-hmm. Or um, Where this area is definitely, you can tell, is more industrial, not as built up. You're kind of like just thrown right into the into the city. I'd almost consider it very similar to Ensenada. I don't okay. know if uh, you've been Ensenada yeah. or not, but probably very similar to that okay. overall. You leave the island and you start heading towards Florida. You have two sea days. How was the smoke in and around the casino? That conquest class, yeah, there's a there's a area, there's a walkway outside of the casino, but it's pretty wide open. I'd say walking alongside it there you didn't smell the smoke too bad, um, but the area that was probably you know pretty bad as far as the smoke was there's the midship elevator bank that uh, is at one of the ends of the casino basically, and in that area, as soon as you get off to that deck, I mean you get hit in the face pretty hard with mm-hmm. the with the smoke, so it's uh, it's pretty bad there. But I'd say over, overall, walking by it, yeah, you could smell a little bit, but not it, it wasn't intolerable. 
How was the debark process at Miami? Sometimes they're using the facial recognition and sometimes they're using an agent actually checking your passport. They were using in that terminal. I don't know if the the facial recognition wasn't working or not, because I know I've arrived in Miami and it, and it was it, they were doing the facial recognition. Mm-hmm. This one was that they, there was just a customs guy or gal that was just kind of looking at your passport as soon as you got down the uh, escalator or elevator into the baggage claim area. And so they would look at your passport and then, you know, good to go and move along. And my son, actually, <laughs> he got a passport when he was six months old. So it was, you know, we didn't have to go in the, the birth certificate line or anything. We try to get, get one pretty early, but I thought it was interesting that they changed it where they do it right then. And then you collect your bag and then you just leave. Like there was no one really checking after that. So uh, I guess that was more efficient, but it, it really did not take very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, once you got off the ship, the debarkation process, though, kind of was going, I think, behind schedule that day or, or really slow. I think with the increased capacity, they were still trying to work out some of their kinks. So we had a carnival tour that day because our flight wasn't until late in the day on that Sunday. And so we decided to do the South Beach, like I think they call it the South Beach Experience where they kind of give you a, a short Miami city tour on the way to South beach. And then they kind of drop you off there for a couple of hours to, to explore. And they'll take you to the airport afterwards. And our meeting time was, I think it was your seven thirty or 8 AM, but we didn't actually depart from the theater uh, where they had our, had our meeting point till about eight thirty. So it was, it seemed like it was kind of rolling a little slow that day, gotcha. but once you were called and got off the ship, it was very, very smooth. Do you have any first-time tips with the cruise or even traveling with a toddler? This is his fourth cruise, and he's not even two years old yet, so a lucky dude there. Yeah, so traveling with a toddler, I and mean, we've we've definitely gotten to figure out like what works best and what doesn't. Um, I think some of the old adage says, you know, bring bring about like fifty percent more items than you than you think you need, and, you know, whether it be clothing or whether it be you know diapers, things like that. That's very important because yeah, uh, you know, on a ship or even some of the ports, like you have no idea like what you're going to be able to come across. You know, if you run out, I mean, that that can be really bad news overall. The other thing too is know that the ships do offer laundry service, so take advantage of that, you know, if you need to, you know, especially when it comes, comes to packing. Um, also, you know, bring toys and things, you know, carnival, I don't think they let you loan out any toys. And, and right now the, the kids clubs aren't even available for, for my son at his age. And so I don't even know if they even offer that kind of service or that kind of opportunity where I know that world Caribbean does, they actually let you, uh, check out toys from like the nursery and so Mm -hmm. forth, which is really cool, uh, situation, but make sure you bring some items to kind of entertain them both in your stateroom and, and even at dinner, if you want to have an enjoyable dinner experience, because a young person's attention span can change very, very quickly on you. You yep. have to have multiple things in the in the diaper bag when you're pulling around. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as far as like the ship itself, I mean, it's it's a really good ship. I mean, it's it's a, it's a decent size, but it still kind of still gives you that old time, you know, smaller ship experience. And it's a great option to consider. Kevin, going back to the main dining room for a minute here, you said there were three sea days. Does that mean there were three different sea day brunches on your sailing? I believe there is. We didn't go to the sea day brunch at all. 
But I, if I recall, I think they did have them on each of the three sea days. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise? Just again, I mean, enjoying the family time. I mean, we built some really cool memories, uh, you know, getting some really fun shore excursions with good beach days and just building those great family memories and, you know, enjoying the warm weather because uh, it still can be kind of chilly in the Pacific Northwest, even in uh, May, June, July. What's the elevation where you live? Uh, 2,500 feet. So okay. not not too bad, but yeah. it, you know, we're, you know, you can wear jackets into June. It's not uncommon. Yeah. Well, in closing your final thoughts of Carnival Freedom. Well, you know, look forward to a fun experience and, you know, it's, it's a great ship, you know, and it'll be a great time. Been talking with Kevin about his eight night Carnival Freedom sailings. Thank you so much for sharing this review. No, good talking to you too, Doug. Have a great day. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.